Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. We've got another special bonus episode today. We're coming to you from New Riff Distilling in Newport, Kentucky. Uh, I'm actually here in the distillery. We're in the event center on the second floor, and I'm here with Jay Arisman, who is the co-founder and the vice president of strategic development here at New Riff. Jay, how are you today? Great, Bob. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we're here to talk about your favorite movie. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about the story of New Riff. I keep seeing you guys pop up all over the place. It's not just your marketing either. This stuff that you're producing is really making waves in the bourbon industry right Thanks. now. So tell me a little bit about the history of the company. Sure. New Riff was founded in uh, the spring of 2014. We opened in May of, of 14. We started distilling June of that year. And four years later, the four longest years of our lives, I assure you, we released our first whiskeys uh, last fall at four years of age. Um, we are a, a bit unique uh, for where we come from, uh, New Riff. We, are, uh, we came to this out of retail liquor. Uh, next door to us in the in the parking lot here that we share is uh, a ginormous and excellent uh, uh, liquor store called The Party Source. And the owner of The Party Source, uh, one of those classic American entrepreneurs that our country seems to generate, uh, Ken Lewis is his name. And uh, he, uh, he, he had, I worked for him from 2001 as fine spirits manager. And between the two of us, we concocted the, the notion somehow that we would be uh, really smart to build a distillery and do this ourselves. Um, and so and so we did. And here we are. It's a it's a dream come true. You know, that's incredible. Now, did you build this facility uh, specifically to make bourbon here or were you producing somewhere else, you know, before the facility came about? Right. Uh, no, we were never producing anywhere before this. Uh, we built this entirely from scratch with the help of a lot of people, uh, our stillmaker and everybody's stillmaker in Kentucky Vendome. And we had a, a, uh, an architect, of course, who did a great job. We had the great, great serendipitous fortune to work uh, from the beginning with Larry Ebersold, uh, a master distiller consultant uh, who was 35 years in the Seagram's plant in Indiana. And he lives nearby mm -hmm. and he was looking for work. And so we brought him on to oversee our whole project. He became our, well, this is appropriate for the, the movie we're going to talk about. He became our sensei, <laughs> you know, sensei Larry, That's right. uh, and, uh, uh, our Kung Fu master and uh, kendo master. And he, he <laughs> taught us how to make whiskey. Uh, we did have a brand very early on that we sourced, uh, from the Indiana distillery. Uh, it was called OKI and, and that's gone now just to fully answer your question. Sure. Yes, we did have some early on uh, a small amount of, of old whiskey that we bought, uh, but that r was intended to go away. It did go away about exactly a year ago. Uh, we sold out the last of it and, uh, we've been selling, of course, our own stuff. Now, everything we make is produced and aged in-house. I love that your, your standard line of bourbon and rye are both bottled in bond. Right. So, and, and again, that's probably what you were waiting four years to produce as well. But I really respect that you guys took the patient route in producing this. So, and Jay has been lovely enough to pour me 
three pours of the new Riff line. So can we walk through what we have here today? You bet. So we'll begin, uh, as I usually do, with our bottled and bond bourbon. Uh, at New Rift Distilling, we only make bottled and bond whiskey. There is no 90-proof three-year small batch. Mm-hmm. There is no 80-proof easy sipper. Everything is bottled and bond and at least four years old. We chose bottled and bond because uh, we realized if we truly are meaning it with our hands on our hearts when we say we are firstly about quality whiskey, if we truly mean that, how can we not bottle everything at the level of bottled and bond? Because we realized bottled and bond is not just a category for hipster bartenders with waxed mustaches (laughs) and tattoos and God love them. Uh, They push bottled and bond. It's not just a category for for your your grandpa. Mm -hmm. It's the world's highest standard for quality in an aged spirit. It's higher than the standards for for scotch, higher than the standards for cognac. Uh, It is the world leader in in quality aged uh, spirit. Uh, Whiskey, bottled and bond brandy, what have you. Nothing surpasses this codification. Since 1897, all these years later, it still tops in the world. So everything we do is bottled and bond, with the exception, as we'll taste, Bob, of our uh, single barrel whiskeys, which we bottle at barrel proof. And so they cannot be bottled and bond, which has to be 100 proof. The single barrels, of course, are still at least four years old. Sure. Well, let's get into it. I'd love to try these. You bet. So our bourbon is uh, a minimum, uh, like I say, four years old. Uh, The grain bill is high rye. It is a 30% rye grain bill. Not the highest in the industry, but... Pretty bloody high. Uh, 65% corn, 5% malted barley. And everything we make also is bottled without chill filtration. Even the gin is bottled oh, interesting. Uh, without chill filtration. Uh, we do not even have the ability to chill filter here at New Rift. So everything is, is bottled and bond without chill filtration, uh, which is, as we say, we are here at New Rift. Uh, we are a new riff on an old tradition. And when we came to bottled and bond, we placed upon it a, a new riff of also making it without chill filtration. We don't do the one thing that the federal government will let you do to alter a whiskey that is bonded, and um, that is to make it uh, filtered. We don't do that. Sure. I, I, I want to just comment for a moment. First of all, I love that you put the mash bill right on the bottle of everything that mm-hmm. you're making here. It's not a secret. It's not <laughs> some sort of family recipe. Right. It's not available to the public. But this bourbon, just on the nose... It just has this really lovely floral note that I wasn't yeah, expecting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a sip. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. I like to drink it with a splash of water and suggest you might try the same. Just a little dribble and see as it opens up and becomes uh, amplified. More aroma, mm. more flavor comes out uh, than when it's drunk straight. That's due to it being unchill filtered. Sure. Now, how did you all decide on uh, landing on the high rye mash bill? Was that something that you had intended from the beginning or did it just through trial and error work out that way? Good good question. Um, We were um, here at the party source. uh, We had a front row seat as high rye became a part of the bourbon lexicon. Mm -hmm. It, It was not really before really before Four Roses came back to America uh, with a vengeance yeah. uh, in 2004. Uh, prior to this, the great Four Roses distillery, all those years was making fantastic bourbon uh, that they only sold as a straight bourbon overseas in, in Europe and Japan and places like that. So we came back on the scene and, and they make whiskey 
up to 35% rye. And then parallel with that, there was the emergence of uh, the Indiana whiskeys, which are nearby to us. Uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana is part of greater Cincinnati. That, sure. that huge distillery out there is sort of one of our big brothers. And so we, we started working with that. Our OKI brand was 35% rye. So we were uh, really struck with how the consumer responded to high rye as a, as a new category in bourbon. Uh, but of course, we loved it too. Right. And we, we wanted to make a, 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 a flavorsome, potent whiskey. We, we were not here to make you know, mild, easygoing whiskey. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to make full-throttled whiskey. Sure. And one ticket to that was high rye. Uh, so we planned from the beginning to have high rye bourbon. Uh, Larry Ebersold taught us, as we'll taste in a minute, uh, the second whiskey in our lineup. He taught us the what I call the black arts of making the famous 95% rye recipe. And so we knew we were going to make a lot of that as well. But we also wanted to cultivate uh, an identity as being rye-centric. Sure. Uh, far opposed from uh, some distilleries in Kentucky that historically disdained rye or never made it or didn't really like to make it, if you ask the distillers, because it gummed up the works and it's Mm. foaming over in the fermenter and it's so problematic and they have to clean more and all of these reasons, we embraced rye. And finally, there's a a little bit of a history locally that greater Cincinnati, Ohio had maybe a little more rye going on here than they did uh, points further south in the Kentucky uh, bourbon industry. Great. Well, yeah, why don't we move, move on to this rye? I'm very excited to try this, especially now that you're talking about the mash bill. Yeah, so this is 95% rye, 5% malted rye. Mm. This, again, is, is our riff on Master Larry's recipe. Uh, this is, is a riff then on what is, in modern times, probably the most historically consequential rye recipe. It is that Indiana rye that turned the industry on its head. Yeah as it became available and, and numerous hordes of brands began using it uh, as a purchased item. And we are one of uh, several places, I guess, that has made our own version of it. Wow. That is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the four years aging has to be helping this a little bit too, to lose a little bit of that edge that you'd normally get on a rye. It still has all the spice, but it's not harsh at all. Mm-hmm. We find, and many distillers find, I think, that rye uh, ages a little faster than bourbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we go back to when we were sampling our whiskey and examining the quality at two years old, the bourbon was was running behind the rye in terms of maturity. And so while the bourbon is is quite delicious at four years old, uh, the rye is is still, again, probably a step ahead. Now, I'm going to take your advice and add just a a splash of water here as well. Can you tell me a little bit about this single barrel that we have at the end of our line here? You bet. So, of course, we wanted to do a single barrel. We had such uh, rich experiences at uh, the party source uh, selling and marketing single barrel whiskeys and private barrel whiskeys and things like that. We wanted to run a program of, uh, of, of single barrel that did justice to, to the history of it and uh, lavished some attention on it. And it's been a, uh, a sales leader for us, a, a whirlwind of interest uh, from people and has allowed us also to interface very closely with a great many um, retailers, bars, private individuals, groups, bourbon societies, that sort of thing that, uh, that come and do private barrel picks. Uh, it's barrel proof, but it's not ridiculously high barrel proof. We go in the barrel at just 110 proof. Okay. And, uh, uh, it comes out an average of right around 112, 111, 112, maybe 113. Uh, there is no 137 and a half proof <laughs> new riff barrel proof whiskey. Not that we mind such a thing, but it, it's kind of nice to be able to drink one that is a, a bit more tractable that way. Sure. 
Same age as well? Always, yes. Okay, great. And there's always an age statement on the back of every new riff bottle of whiskey. Uh, we, we thought for the one guy who says, you four-year-old, uh, give me an eight-year-old. First of all, I say to him, go find me an eight-year-old bourbon whiskey because they're pretty much gone. Yeah. Uh, almost all the age statements have been, well, they've been dropping like flies. Uh, but there will be nine people who say thank you. Mm-hmm. For respecting me, the consumer, with, uh, with, with, with the age of your whiskey. And yeah. what we most love to hear, and we hear it all the time, is, man, I can't believe this stuff is so good at four years old. Yeah. That sounds like a, a backhand compliment a little bit, but in fact, it's a, a deep compliment that, w- that we did our job. Sure. Uh, we set out to make, uh, excellent whiskey and, and we're, we're getting there, I guess. And other people think so too. In, uh, in April of this year, uh, we were, awarded so so we've we've been in a few spirits competitions over the years some craft festivals and things like that but of course we didn't have whiskey to send to any of these things until we released it and so now at four years of age we entered uh the most prestigious spirits competition in the world it's the uh, san francisco world spirits competition for people in the know it's kind of the only one that matters and we sent our entire portfolio these three whiskeys plus two we have two gins and we sent all these off to san francisco Hoping that we might, you know, win something. Yeah. And in San Francisco, they uh, award silver medals, gold medals, and double gold medals. And to get a double gold, all the judges have to deem a given spirit to be a gold. If one person says that's a silver, then it, it, it only gets a gold. And imagine our delight and surprise when the entire portfolio hmm. came back with a double gold award. Yeah unprecedented for a, a young new distillery to enter the highest stage in the world and not just get a gold medal or a double gold medal, sure. but to run the table. It the was first great. I'd ever heard of New Riff, actually. There was an article that came out in, I believe, Forbes a few months ago that one of the judges from San Francisco basically named every bourbon and every whiskey that he loved at the competition on the process to awarding you know, best in show whiskey. And he name dropped New Riff as this brand new distillery. And to be able to see your name in a national publication like that and to see the phrase, you know, I'm excited about what they're doing. Right. What did that mean to you? That was tremendous. That came from Fred Minnick, who is an astute, what, what do they say in the Old South? Uh, a scholar, a gentleman and a scholar and a judge of good whiskey. That's right. And Fred has, has you know, seen what we're doing here. He was an, an early uh, guest and, and uh, a fellow whiskey writers. Uh, I used to write for Malt Advocate and Whiskey Advocate magazine, and, and so did Fred. So uh, he, of course, now has his own magazine, Bourbon Plus, and uh, you should go subscribe to it, I think. That's right. um, and uh, so he and I bonded many years ago over being whiskey writers and things like that. So uh, it was a real pleasure to be able to introduce the final product to people like Fred. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jay, I want to segue here as smoothly as possible into talking about your favorite movie. You know, part of what we do here on the podcast is we try to marry these concepts of cinema and whiskey. And Jay reached out to me (laughs) when we were first talking over email. And he said, you know, I'm a bit of a cineast myself. And as soon as he used the word cineast, I I knew we were were in for a treat. (laughs) And Jay showed up today with like four Criterion Collection DVDs, all from the same director, Akira Kurosawa. And he chose for his movie Seven Samurai. So, Jay, tell me about what led you to the selection of this film. And he actually has it queued up here on the big screen uh, here in the tasting room that we're in. And I think we're going to watch a few scenes. But before we get to that point, let me know about your selection process. 
Sure. Well, um, I've been a Kurosawa fan for many years. My, my dad turned me on to uh, Akira Kurosawa. Uh, I think he enjoyed the, the uh, Western aspects. Uh, you know, so many people compare Yojimbo to uh, John Ford Westerns and, sure. and these kind of things. There's certainly some interpolation between uh, the two countries and, and those traditions. And for that matter, the samurai story, to a certain extent, of course, much older, is to Japan's culture and history somewhat what the cowboy is to America, Absolutely. these iconic uh, uh, characters and, and memes and themes. And uh, so I got turned on to, to uh, Yojimbo and Sanjiro and, and other movies like that at a young age and Seven Samurai. I think I probably watched The Magnificent Seven first yeah. with my dad and he pointed out, you know, we need to watch. And so later we saw Seven Samurai. It's just been one of my favorites uh, all these years. Uh, and Kurosawa, one of my favorite directors. Um, there are uh, 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 hard to pick, actually, yeah. Bob. When you asked me what's my favorite movie, um, I, there were so many choices, um, and I, I settled on on that because there was one particular scene. That, of course, it's tempting to go and find a whiskey themed movie, like you know, well, I was inspired by Scotch, so uh, Braveheart, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah something right, like that. Right. But but there was a, a scene in in uh, Kurosawa that uh, that I always in, in Seven Samurai that I always enjoyed. And uh, that I actually saw other people reference as well. And so when you, when you were talking about, you know, what are some favorite scenes, that one jumped out at me. And so I settled on that. Well, I think we have a scene queued up. So let's go ahead and watch. So um, there was this scene. Uh, so if you, if you know the movie, um, we, uh, we have seven samurai who are being recruited by a village which is beset by... Uh, brigands and they are the, the, the movie is long it's uh, three and three hours 30 minutes three hours yeah. 25 minutes yeah. something like that. bloody long movie uh, at the time the, the longest movie since uh, Gone with the Wind sure. I think when it came out and so um, the, the, the movie unfolds languidly you know very slowly uh, you spend a good hour just in the process of the samurai recruiting this band of seven of them and uh, there's a story behind each one. And so as this movie goes on and they get into the fights with the, with the brigands and the bandits uh, and the samurai begin to fall, you know, your, your heart sinks with them because you've gotten to know them so well. Right. So this one scene is where, where they meet a master swordsman. He is uh, one of the best they ever saw, probably. He's, he's a brilliant, just, uh, a man devoted to one thing, and that is being flipping brilliant with a samurai <laughs> sword, I suppose. And uh, he, he gets in a, a, uh, a duel with bamboo swords, and his opponent says, ah, it's a draw. And the, the sword master says, no, I won. Yeah. If, these, if these had been metal, if these had been steel, you, you would be dead. And that's not good enough for the, the blowhard uh, guy who is challenging him. And so he picks up his steel sword, and then we see what follows. I actually had, had uh, read about this in another uh, context. Uh, I was reading one time an Eric Clapton biography. Turns out Clapton is a Kurosawa fan, too. And I'm a guitar player. Sure. Uh, I'm a rock and roll guitarist. And, uh, and he mentions this scene. In, uh, in, in Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. And I think, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and he was always taken, Clapton was, with the, the purity of, uh, of this, that, that someone would be stating, no, I'm the best guitar player. You know, I, and, and in would come someone with the quality of a B.B. King. Yeah. Clapton humbly never said himself. And with one note, just shut them all up. Yeah. Blow them all away. And that's sort of what this samurai does here. With, with one stroke... 
he ends the, the battle. Right. This is not a fencing match so much as it is uh, an execution, given right. how good this guy is. Oh, this is such a fantastic scene. And the shot composition as well. Kurosawa is just such a master behind the camera. I'm actually forgetting for a moment that we're conducting an interview right now. I'm just sipping whiskey and watching a movie <laughs> on a big screen. This is fantastic. Yeah, such motion and movement in his, uh, in his storytelling. He, he tells stories through dialogue, but also through, uh, through motion. And he's a, a virtuoso at that. And of course, this is a pairing of, you know, one of the best director-actor duos that we've ever seen between uh, uh, Toshiro Mifune and the director Kurosawa. Yeah. And the role that he plays, the sort of brutish, drunken imposter of the group who, who finally gets, you know, uh, his noble end at the, at the end mm-hmm. of the film. It's such a great character arc. One of gets redemption. My, absolutely. One of the best performances in, of his career, in my opinion. I would agree. So, Jay, before we wrap up here. We, we talked a little bit as we were taking a tour about some of the more experimental things you're doing here at New Riff. And I'd like to ask if you have anything that you'd like to uh, get out there in the open, anything you'd like to plug, any experimental lines that uh, New Riff might be getting into that you'd like our listeners to know about. Well, now, Bob, if we if we talked all about that, we couldn't let you leave alive. That's right. We'd have to cut you down with our samurai swords. No, um, we, we talk at, at length about some of the stuff we have coming down the pike. As I showed you and Please, anyone out there who wants to come take a tour, uh, we're open six days a week for tours, and we're a small-ish facility. You get up close and personal to the process. You can see what, what Bob went through today. Um, so we have the ability here to digest any grain uh, down to a 50-pound bag or up to a 2,000-pound bag, uh, any grain into our, into our recipes. And, so, and we, we designed that from the beginning. It was built into the system from the start. We have big silos that hold... Uh, a, a trailer full, 50,000 pounds of corn and rye and malted barley. But we also have a, uh, a side uh, conveyor, if you will, that allows us to dump anything into the process. So we can make anything, and we have. We've made weeded bourbon. Uh, it's not our identity at all to make uh, weeded bourbon per se. We, we, uh, we didn't want to be Loretto North, but why would we not make weeded bourbon? Sure. We, love, we love weeded bourbon. So we've done a few, several weeded bourbons. We've made um, heirloom uh, corn and rye whiskeys, uh, heirloom bourbon, that is, and, and heirloom rye. In fact, we'll have a little bit of heirloom rye coming out later this year in our new Riff Whiskey Club and in Kentucky retail. We will have uh, someday chocolate oatmeal stout. Oh. You know, that, that was a, a collaboration between uh, myself and our head distiller and production manager, Brian Sprantz, who is a brilliant guy. He's, he came to us from the brewing industry and uh, uh, was a, really like a master level brewer, probably at Boston Beer at Sam mm-hmm. Adams. And I said to Brian one day, uh, so what about you know, oatmeal? We, we could make an oated bourbon, couldn't mm-hmm. we? And he said, uh, just sort of spilled out of his mouth to say, oh, oatmeal stout. And then he said, chocolate oatmeal stout. Oh, Next thing man. we knew, we're making chocolate oatmeal stout bourbon. It's a bourbon, but it contains malted oats and raw oats and um, some dark chocolate yeah. uh, malt that you would typically use to make a, an oatmeal stout whiskey or an oatmeal stout beer. And so, uh, yeah, stuff like that creatively is coming down the pike. But it all is going to have to wait four years. And some of it longer than that. You know, we, we may dub some of these. It's good now, but let's, let's wait a little longer. Yeah. And then, of course, we also make, on a monthly basis, our 100% malted rye. That will probably be out fall of next year. Knocking on wood, uh, fall of next year, maybe. We'll, we'll see if it's ready. Uh, but that will be a little bit of an exclamation point. That's exciting. And I don't think it's an accident that you, you chose the film you did today. You know, uh, Kurosawa influenced American cinema so much. This, this movie, 
directly was remade in America as the Magnificent Seven. You know, Yojimbo becomes remade in Italy as A Fistful of Dollars. Right. And I can't help but think that as New Riff continues to grow and continues to make waves in the industry, that you all will be an influence in the distilled spirits community, just like Akira Kurosawa was well, in the we'll, film world. We'll see if we can live up to that. <laughs> This has been uh, my favorite movie. I'm here with Jay Arisman. He is the co-founder and the vice president at New Rift Distilling and also a budding DVD commentator. <laughs> Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>